Bed Rot Thoughts, where we talk about everything and anything under the stars. I'm your host, On Ping, and currently I am in Taichung, Taiwan. I thought it would be a good time to just sit down and just kind of discuss my situation right now. Yeah, so I had a little three-week trip with some friends just as like a post-grad celebratory um, experience. And yeah, I had a moment um, back when I was still in the States when I was like, I'm not sure what I want to do after this trip because I eventually want to go back to school and get another degree, but I was so burnt out and so tired, and I felt like I was feeling very hopeless, and I just felt like I hadn't really experienced things that I wanted to experience, if that makes any sense. So, especially with COVID kind of stealing like three years of my life, I felt like I... I don't feel like the age that I am. Like, I feel like I, during COVID, it was just like a standstill. And I I didn't develop socially or mentally or any of the above. So I feel like I'm just lagging. And so I, at this point, it just feels like I'm kind of trying to make up for lost time. And I don't know, just experiencing life in a different way. So my mom... When I was kind of going back and forth about that, she was like, why don't you just stay in Taiwan for a little bit? And for those who don't know, my family is actually from Taiwan. And so I do still have grandparents that live here. And I was like, okay, I mean, why not? But um, some of the struggles here is that I am bilingual, um, for the most part. And I grew up in my house. I learned English in school and then spoke Mandarin with my parents. And I'm sure this can be pretty relatable for other second generation immigrant kids, but I don't speak it very well. And the language that my parents and I use, I call Chinglish because it's a mix of Chinese and English. And some of the more like business terms or just like more um, specific terms I don't use and didn't learn. And so when I'm trying to describe something a bit harder to describe, I switch to English and then just like hope my parents understand. And for the most part, they do. And so both my parents and I have started talking like that. And yeah, I'm also illiterate. So that's fun. Um, for the most part in Taiwan, though, which is really nice, is that they do have a lot of foreign tourists. And so a lot of the signs are also in English, which is cool. But occasionally, um, if you go to like a restaurant or like a food stand, they really don't give a fuck. And so I might know like one word out of 20 on the sign. I'll be like, oh, they sell some kind of meat. I don't know what kind. So it's it's definitely nerve wracking because oh. I do look Asian. And so immediately they start talking pretty fast to me. And then I open my mouth and they're like, oh, she's not from here, <laughs> which is so valid. I'm not from here. It just like scares me. I look like them, but very. it's a very different experience because I also can't communicate very well with them. I've been doing a lot of translating, but I just signed myself up for Mandarin classes, specifically to learn how to read and write. I'm also, since I have a lot of time and I'm fun employed, uh, I'm taking the time to also uh, use this app to 
learn Chinese characters. So I'm doing my best here. Uh, currently staying with my grandparents on my dad's side. And it's been fun uh, kind of reconnecting with them. The longest that I've been able to stay with them was like a month. Like ever in my life, like was one month. So yeah, this is a great time for me to just kind of reconnect, um, learn more about my own culture. Hopefully that helps me on my journey of trying to figure out like my identity. I've been reading a lot. I'm thinking about maybe on bedrod.thoughts on the Instagram account, maybe starting to post book reviews or maybe just what I've learned from books I've read over the past half a year. It's kind of crazy because right now in the U.S., it's starting to get cold, especially Midwest. It's fall season. It's Christian girl autumn. Everyone's breaking out the leggings, um, you know, the plaid, the Ugg boots. <laughs> and I can't believe those are still a trend. But definitely getting cold. But here it's been a solid like 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And also everything's in Celsius. So when I'm like watching the news, I, sorry, I just wish in America that we had, if we just, if we could just use celsius it would just make americans better travelers like it's just come on please because when i watch the news now i have no idea what like what is 30 celsius degrees celsius even mean like at least for fahrenheit it makes sense because then it's like if it's 80 85 degrees fahrenheit it's 85 percent hot if it's 100, it's 100% hot. <laughs> like, it makes sense. But Taiwan is a very loud country also. Having trouble sleeping sometimes because uh, the garbage trucks come around every night. And so in Taiwan, there is not um, like garbage service the way there is in the U.S. You don't like put all your garbage in the garbage bin and then take it outside and then they just like magically the garbage disappears in the morning like the trucks come by and like pick up the pick up the garbage and they like dump it in the truck but in Taiwan you have to do it yourself so <laughs> what happens is the garbage trucks come around they play music and it's not like a cute kind of music it's like ice cream truck music it's like the annoying sound <laughs> and people have to like stand to like the corner of their street and just wait and then once that truck comes around you gotta like hand the person that's hanging off of the truck your garbage and then they'll like toss it in for you it's kind of crazy if i'm sure if you go on youtube and look it up you'll be able to see it but it's a it's a very taiwanese thing also the the garbage truck music is like i'm pretty sure it's like universal throughout the whole island so all garbage trucks in the country play the same sound because I was in Taipei and the garbage truck plays every single night. Yeah, um, island life be like that. Let me know if I should make another episode just talking about my experiences here and just maybe some, you know, differences I've noticed between living here versus the U.S. Because I think it's quite interesting. Maybe I should like make that before I start getting used to life here. Oh, also, I'm planning to try to get out of here before summer because summer here is brutal. And I am a temperate, cool climate girly. I'm maybe considering spending time in New Zealand. I think that's a country that I had the privilege of visiting many years back and it just made such a deep impression on me something about their slower way of life i really enjoy but i know you know high cost of living compared to taiwan which is a pretty low cost of living that might be kind of interesting but if i don't move and live in other countries now i just 
don't see myself having that chance later. I have a life motto where I just don't want regrets. I'd prefer to do something and have regrets about doing it rather than having regrets about not doing it. And so, yeah. But even if I do regret doing it, I would rather learn a lesson from it. Just kind of see it as like a learning opportunity as to why I regret doing it. I guess it's like you can go through life thinking of it as just like a big learning process. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm learning a lot of things by reading and also taking just like free online courses, just trying to stay active in my learning just in general. So I don't really have a solid plan about what I wanted to talk about. So <laughs> this is one of the first episodes that I like truly procrastinated on. And so here we are like three days before posting it, just trying to figure out what to do. But I went on like a little Reddit uh, spiral <laughs> or Reddit dig. So I looked up a bunch of subreddits. And so I now have a bunch of Reddit or subreddits ready for the days that I procrastinate like this. The one that I thought would be interesting to dive into was the No Stupid Questions subreddit. And I just kind of took ones that were trending at the moment. There's some with more upvotes than others, but I thought, why not read what people have questions on? And then we can talk about our opinions and then we'll go into the comments and go read other posts and see what other people think. So the first one, we're going to start pretty mellow here. How do colorblind people even know they're colorblind? And this person says, like I understand ones that only see black and gray and white because they all look the same, but I mean the ones that may see yellow as purple or green as blue. Like in school, if the teacher points out something blue, but the per the student sees purple, wouldn't the student just call that color blue despite what he sees and still be correct in the outsider's perspective? Hmm. I did wonder about this. This is actually one of my like shower thoughts when I was in elementary school, because there is a kid in my class who was colorblind, and the way that we all knew that he was colorblind was because we constantly, um, we talk about colors and we, especially like crayons, <laughs> he'd be like, we'd be like, can you pass the yellow crayon? And then he'd give us like a purple one and be like that. Um, actually, I have no idea how colorblindness works. I know like the genetics of it, but I don't know what colors get flipped. So just like hang in here with me, especially if you're colorblind. But yeah, he would pass us like the wrong colors. And then all the kids are like, bro, like your outfits are not too bad because he always wore like the little, you know, colored polos with like colored pants, but it'd be coordinated. So it'd be like, dude, um, how do you know how to dress yourself? And he's like, oh, my mom does it. My mom just picks out my outfits for me. <laughs> you should also tell your mom that she's the reason why you're colorblind. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> right? Because isn't the gene for colorblindness on the X chromosome? And that would come from mom. Okay. Anyways, genetics. But I also had like a weird moment where I was like, how would you know if you are seeing this? Okay, so colorblindness is very obvious, right? Like, you know, they they see a whole different color. But how do I know that I'm looking at the same shade as, of blue as you? So we all know that colors is because of how light is refracting. And then your eyes then perceive that light and then that's how you see the color but if our if all our eyes work slightly differently then wouldn't it make sense that if i see a certain a specific shade of blue for example 
I see a specific shade of blue. It's um, I'm looking at like a fan in my room right now. So the blaze of it are like translucent blue. It's like a it's not turquoise. There's not a lot of green in there, but it's a little bit of green. It's kind of like it looks like the shallow end of a pool if the bottom of the pool was painted blue. You know those pools? Yeah. That's the color it is. But what if you look at it and you see that it's more turquoise? But how would we know? You know how like the, uh, shoot, what's the color? Is it Pantone? Pantene is the shampoo. Pantone, how they have like a color of the year. But who is judging that? Because my question is, if the judges of the color of the year see the color slightly differently from each other, then technically there is no one set color of the year. (laughs) Like we don't, there's no way we all see color the same. Because you know how depending on um, how much light there is in a room, the color appears different. So color must be quite fluid. (laughs) That's my thought. Anyways, let's look at these comments. Okay, we have someone who is bright green colorblind. They say, colorblindness tends to cause issues with differentiating similar shades of colors in close proximity to one another. That's how these colorblindness tests work. They place lots of similarly colored dots close to each other so that if you're colorblind, they blend together and obscure the number in the image. Shades of yellow and orange are often hard for me to distinguish since they fall between red and green on a color wheel. Interesting. Someone else says it's funny because usually doctors refuse to diagnose colorblindness in kids under five or six because maybe they just don't know the names of the colors. But there are some situations that make it painfully obvious. I have a friend that has colorblind brothers. She was picking tomatoes with her four-year-old son and he kept bringing her green ones no matter how many times she showed him that it was different from the ones in her bucket. If that's not an obvious sign, I don't know what is. (laughs) <laughs> this other person said, I discovered I was colorblind at 16 when we went strawberry picking. 16? That's like you're in high school. How do you go through your whole life? Like, don't you find out when in like art class when you start painting things? <laughs> Wait, colorblind people. <laughs> when you're When you're in art class in elementary school and you start like, you know, like the coloring sheets, you know how... Like when you have a better understanding of color when you're younger, you start coloring things a little more realistically. Like you're like, oh, you know, um, a color that naturally occurs on hair is black. So let me color the hair black. And then it's like the skin color. Brown is a skin color. So let me color the skin brown. Let me color the eyes green. You know, all those things because you're finally like, oh, okay, you know, the colors appear on certain things and other colors like purple is not exactly a natural hair color so if you're colorblind and you started painting or like coloring things a little differently than everyone else would the are the art teachers just like oh that kid is like creative and abstract like i wonder if that's happened before anyways I discovered I was colorblind at 16 when we went strawberry picking. I found fuck all strawberries because the red berries and green bushes all looked the same. Before then, I had absolutely no idea. (laughs) So they were picking the red berries and the green bushes too. Fuck all strawberries. My flatmate found out when he decided to touch up the paintwork in the shared living room. He touched up green walls with orange paint and thought it was barely noticeable. (laughs) We told him. (laughs) You don't always. Then one day in 1999, you find the perfect gray sports jacket on a shopping spree in Manhattan. You wear the heck out of this gray jacket. After almost a year, your new partner comments how much you love the shamrock green jacket and it would be perfect for such and such St. Patrick's party. Shamrock slash Kelly green. Jesus Christ. That's how I found out I had a very specific hue of green color blindness. Things of this hue 
like perfectly gray. That's so interesting. Like, is it because why the hue? Why is the hue different? Is it because like a mixture of one of the colors makes it more gray? There's a lot of the same comments of like, oh, this is how I found out that I was colorblind. I feel like for the most part, if your colorblindness isn't like super, super specific, you'd probably would find out, especially with other kids when you're in school. You do get teased a little. I'm not going to lie. That, that other that kid in my class did get teased because we'd start whipping out colors from <laughs> we'd start pulling colors from the um, crayon box and be like, what color is this? <laughs> and he'd be like, uh, <laughs> we literally quizzed him. It was kind of mean. Okay, this other, moving on, next question. This one says, are popular kids in school really a thing? I'm from Poland and watching Western movies, the concept of popular kids in school always baffled me. I never noticed it being a thing in any school I went to, never heard about it from anyone I know either. Everyone had their own group of friends and nobody cared if they're the cool guys. Is that really a thing in other countries, especially USA? Are there really popular kids? Some superstars that everyone knows, talks about, wants to hang around with, etc. Or is it just another made-up fiction thing? Okay, my opinion is it depends. I think in smaller schools, there definitely are. For some reason, when you're in, if you're in a smaller school, because I went to a smaller elementary school, there seems to be an exaggerated emphasis, emphasis on popular kids or just kids that, you know, more people know than not. Um, those are usually like, it's never, mm, I don't want to say this, pretty privilege is a thing. So if you're pretty as a kid, you probably got, you know, a little more attention than the average child. But I think, yeah, it's definitely magnified if you go to a smaller school, like the popular kid group is very defined. If you go to a larger school, it's not so much of a thing. I don't know. So I, in high school, I was involved in the marching band and also swimming. And for the most part, people in swimming, I would say popularity wise, because our school really like glorified sports. People in sports were a little more considered popular and like more well known. But also I found that the people in sports seem to be a little more extroverted. So I'm not sure how this comes about, but I think it definitely shows how there's a constant need of maybe it's like human nature of trying to like set ourselves apart from other people, like to define ourselves differently. And so therefore there's always going to be a group that a group of people that try to define themselves as more um, well-known than others or more lovable or whatever, whatever that means. Like, it's not like mean girls level, though, because you just kind of mind your own business. Um, I kind of floated around groups. I'm not sure. It's not mean girls level where it's like, oh, you're in choir. <laughs> like, it's bad on. It's not like that, you know? And it's also not like superstar level. It's not like, oh my God, like in gym class, I got to play pickleball with so-and-so who's part of the popular crew. I don't know if you watched like Korean dramas or like Thai dramas even, but like when they talk about like the popular kids, it's like the um, boys over flowers where they're like the it group and then for some reason they're like mini celebrities at the school and girls like want their autographs and whatever <laughs> I don't, like i don't know why they do it so intensely i i feel like that's not a thing but also i haven't gone to like a like a school in asian countries so who knows but it's definitely not like that in the u.s at least not anymore so someone said, kind of, but not like in the movies. They don't rule the school, but they're well-known around different schools, including our own. That's true. That is true. So 
more popular kids are not well known just in the school, but also outside of it. So they kind of collude with other popular kids from other schools. It's very strange in that way. They just like connect with each other and they just have like a larger network of people that they know. Yeah, pretty privilege is definitely a thing. Like if you're if you're more conventionally attractive, you probably get more attention. But I gotta say, some of the more well-known kids at our school were definitely not conventionally attractive. So I think it's a mixture of like just extreme extroversion and then like do people like kind of the front that you put up you know like they all have their role in their group it's like you're either like the super funny person that they like to keep around or you're just like someone who's really good at talking to other people i don't know it's very based off of social adequacy yes they do think they are superior to everyone else that is what the commenter says and i do agree At my school, the popular kids were the ones that were great at sports while also maintaining perfect grades and community service. Yes, mine too. It's definitely not like the movies where popular kids are dumb or mean or just jocks. I mean, some of them are a little dumb, but who who judges intelligence, huh? Not I. (laughs) Dumb and, I mean, common sense dumb. This one says, I don't know, the hot people were just the hot people, but they weren't the strong group. Then the strong group wasn't as strong as the smoker rats. You had all sorts of groups dodging attention somehow, and then the ones that didn't. (laughs) This other person said, really? I live in the Netherlands, but we definitely had more and less popular kids in school. I mean, we also had the separate friend groups thing. I'm a teacher now in university. Even here, there's more popular and less popular kids, although all students more or less get along. Honestly, the only reason I feel people don't notice that there are popular kids as if they themselves are part of the popular group. Yeah, I'm sure it's a little more noticeable if you're not in the group. But I feel like in the age of social media, and we had social media in high school, It was definitely more noticeable in that way because now you can kind of, there's almost like a way to weigh how popular you are by how many followers you had. So definitely measurable now. This person says, as a teacher, I'd say that even in Europe, there are always people like that show up in a lot of places. It's maybe not as pronounced as the exaggeration that you see on US TV shows, but it is there for sure. As an example, I worked with a group of high-achieving high schoolers last year here in Slovakia who were quite noticeably everywhere. Many of them were part of a clique of identifiably driven students. Think three or four who were going off to med school, a couple who got into Cambridge, Oxford, and other top universities, and so on. And for that reason, we're involved in a lot of extracurricular stuff all over town. Again, that emphasizes, like, popular quote-unquote popular people just knew a lot of people they're just super involved all my other students including those from other schools knew them there were a few good djs in the group and they used to run techno events in the local nightclub they were a part of things like student councils they took part in political debates and if i ran into them in town they'd always be surrounded by big groups of friends If I wanted to organize anything interesting like extracurricular trips, art activities, club events, parties, or whatever, it was always a good idea to ask a few from this group. First, as they knew everyone in town and everyone listened to them when they told people that an event might be cool. Mm, Interesting. So I think in this way we can kind of look into like, is this person actually trustworthy or are they just popular? Like, do they just know a lot of people and a lot of people know them? Because I feel like in the case of Donald Trump being elected as president, it was like a question of like, is he actually qualified or do we all just know about him? Is he just popular? Like, why do we put a lot of emphasis in people who have a lot of connections and we see those people as qualified for positions? And I see that with jobs too if you know people in the company obviously you're going to have a better time trying to get in 
because you know someone within the company that they've already hired, I think the sentiment is like, oh, you must be like a great worker, even though there's no association there. Just because you know a lot of people doesn't mean that you can actually do the job well. But it's that like weird kind of link that we've created. It's like the pretty privilege thing. It's like if you're pretty, then we think that you're you know, associated with good traits. Same thing with, I think, popularity is like if you're popular, then we think that you are a great person for some reason. Interesting. Okay. Absolutely none of them behaved like the kind of assholes you see in American shows. That's true. Not all people, popular people are assholes. And then if they are assholes, then they aren't popular anymore. <laughs> I had a fun discussion with a big group of them once who told me that at the start of high school, they had all been friends and had actively decided to be really welcoming, friendly, and genuinely caring for those around them in their circles and thereby transformed their own environment into the one they wanted to be a part of. And by doing that, they ended up just being major parts of most people's friend groups. That's actually kind of cute. And I think for the most part, if you are popular, it's because you're in some way like you're just like a welcoming person and you have a lot of connections because of that okay this question is quite funny again no stupid questions if somebody is sentenced to house arrest but they legally live in a pull behind trailer could they have somebody drive them around and not be breaking their probation i thought about this for a little bit and i think the comments might agree with me i get where they're coming from it's because if you're in the house and you're under house arrest, then you're not leaving the house. The house is just moving. But I do know that they give you like a GPS tracker. And if the GPS tracker moves, um, I'm sure they give them like a limit of like how far you can be away from the point that they set. I'm pretty sure you, you can't do that because the GPS can't distinguish whether you're still in the house or not. But I wonder... Is it because we labeled it wrong or is it because you could maybe still argue in court that you were in your house? I don't know. I wonder how house arrest is defined in court documents. Uh, this person says people are only sentenced to house arrest if the domicile is appropriate for it. For example, homeless people aren't given that option. Funny when people assume that common sense isn't taken into consideration on stuff like this. Like, of course, you can't say I live in my car, so I'm on house arrest everywhere I go. Nobody is sentenced to house arrest by surprise. In the U.S., the defendant can make a petition to the court for this. They have to make a plan that the court approves. They have to pay for the ankle slash wrist monitor and GPS equipment. They have to put it in a landline phone or any other equipment required at their own expense. The plan, the GPS limitations, the cost, the duration of other steps will be spelled out in detail before the court decides to approve it or not. Okay, so it seems like it's a case-by-case -case situation. Whether they would be allowed to move around at all would be up to the court in their jurisdiction. This other person says house arrest isn't as specific as many think. It can mean you're only allowed in certain places, school, work, home, certain stores, other, sometimes. Or it can mean you can't leave the state. Oh, state arrest. Those under house arrest are usually given a GPS tracker to prevent probation violations. One of my childhood friends was on house arrest and she wore some kind of device on her ankle or wrist. Can't remember exactly. It was 10 plus years ago. And it beeped when she would go a certain distance from the property. And if she didn't turn around in time, it would alert her PO. The farthest she could go was to her mailbox across the street so i couldn't see this being a solution to house arrest boundaries yeah someone else just simply said gps don't play that <laughs> yeah i think that's her answer um of course i'm not sure how accurate these comments are but if you know anything please let me know did we all do dare dare was like a Maybe it was like a very American thing and then later became like a trendy shirt design in Forever 21. But D.A.R.E. was like a anti-drug program, but it was like a very intense one. So alcohol was included in the drugs list. 
Um, it was all forms of like, did they hate smoking too? I think tobacco might have been part of it too, maybe like nicotine. So all forms of drugs, despite how you know minor some are compared to others, were included in the Dare program. And I personally, with my experience, I thought it didn't do a lot for me because they're so extreme in how they're trying to paint the drugs. And it's like to a dare person, dare officer, whoever's leading dare, weed would be on the same level as like coke and I don't know, a whole bunch of other like meth. (laughs) Like, but I think once you are an adult and, you know, you've just kind of been around the block and have kind of tried some stuff, you know that they're not on the same level as at all. And I think it was very misleading to, you know, not have that kind of distinction between drugs and just say that all were bad, especially when, like, I think for alcohol, they weren't trying to, like, say, tell you not to drink alcohol. Mm, I wouldn't say that, actually. I think they're just, like, they're, like, if you start drinking alcohol, you'll become an alcoholic. Yeah, that's kind of the sentiment. Okay, I remember for alcohol, let me know if anyone else had to do this, but they had you put on the drunk goggles. Has anyone watched um Cody Ko and Noelle Miller where they put on the drunk goggles and they try to like bake and cook it's like those it's like wacky looking goggles where like if you look at someone straight on while they're wearing the goggles their eyes kind of are like shifted to one side and they look stupid as hell basically they had us put on the goggles and then they would chuck balls at us and they'd ask us to try to catch them and then obviously because you couldn't catch them your eyesight is like hella impaired they'd be like see that's what you're like when you're drunk and that's why you can't drive which like okay to be fair i hate drunk driving that's like a the biggest no-go for me in my moral code if you drunk drive i i don't want anything to do with you because it's so dangerous. It really is. Yeah, it's, it was just a weird kind of memory. But I do remember, despite how little Dare worked, it was a fun kind of... Because we did him f- for like a portion of the semester. I think in like fifth grade. No, maybe younger than that. But it was like a great time to like just get out of class. Because the um, dare officer would show up and then our teacher would be like, oh, okay, you know, let's wrap up the lesson, whatever we're learning. And now you just get balls chucked at you and you learn about drugs and talk about drugs. So personally, I kind of enjoyed dare. But this question said, did the dare or say no to drugs campaigns have any real effect on your life? I gotta say no for myself. They definitely didn't stop me from doing drugs, but I've heard some people say it caused them to use drugs. Definitely didn't do that either. Also, is there an equivalent now? I don't have any kids, so I'm not up to that stuff. This person says since DARE was founded in 1980s, there have been numerous academic studies conducted to measure its effectiveness. As far as I'm aware, just about every study has agreed that DARE does not achieve its stated goals. Well, obviously, because the way they do it is so outdated. Most studies found either negligible impact or in some cases increased drug usage among people who went through the D.A.R.E. programs. One big criticism I've seen is that the program makes a lot of kids aware that drugs exist. And as they get older, the kids realize that the D.A.R.E. program wasn't really honest about some of those drugs and their supposed effects. Okay, (laughs) yes, because I actually found out about the drugs that existed not from just like being peer pressured because they always teach like peer pressure is like the worst thing that could happen to you because suddenly you're gonna become like a meth addict because of peer pressure but i actually learned about drugs in like especially like the horrific like very intense drugs and like how to use them actually from the dare program i wouldn't have known otherwise i don't think i would know what meth is like at that age 
if not for the D.A.R.E. program, I wouldn't have known that you could huff aerosols <laughs> if it weren't for the D.A.R.E. program. So I, I would argue that they might actually have an opposite effect. Or maybe you could argue that, oh, they're making you aware of these things so that if you ever do find yourself in a situation where you are being peer pressured to do them, that you know what they are. But uh, arguable, arguable. This person says, kind of, but not accurately portraying the effects and consequences. When I did finally try weed, I started asking if they lied about this, they must be lying about all drugs took me a while to learn that they weren't all lying, but just like sex, just telling kids not to do it and blowing the consequences out of proportion didn't do me any favors. As in retrospect, it's wild that they had every kid in my school do a detailed research project on an illegal drug when we were 11 years old. I got assigned cocaine. One of my friends had to write about mescaline. Like, what is mescaline? What is that? Like, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't know. Imagine being 11 years old, you don't even know about these drugs, and then all of a sudden they're demonized, and then you go to college, and then you try some, and it's like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, putting weed on the same level as some of these, like, other really intense ones, it's just not, it's not right. This other person said, they told me that all drugs were awful and would ruin my life, When I first tried weed, I was like, what the fuck? This shit's lit. So they made me interested in trying other drugs to see what else they lied about. Maybe not their intention, though. I would like to hear other people's experiences with D.A.R.E. If you'd like to share. um, God, I have so many of these questions pulled out, but this episode's starting to get long. I'll do one more. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. Why do I feel like I'm just existing and not living? Hmm. <laughs> I'm a 30-year-old programmer. Yep. Yep. We are slaves to capitalism. I earn well and work a lot. I'm a bit of a learner. Loner. Outside of work, I do nothing. I just stay indoors and code some more. <laughs> it's not for a luck of want. I'm just not that guy. I find it hard to socialize and I'm an overthinker at this point I feel I just exist on autopilot repeating the same routine work sometimes gym home I was to live a life I can remember and smile but all I do is exist how do I change this hmm I think this is one of my fears like genuinely so one of my fears in life is becoming like this living life on autopilot and then just letting the years pass me by I, this is kind of a different turn. I think for this, I think there's just like a sentiment of, there's just like a loss of meaning. I I think at this point is when I would start questioning myself. And, you know, I am... I have not gone through this. Um, I, f- I feel like I had like a brief moment of asking this question of, you know, why am I on autopilot when I was in school when things got very mundane, but I don't think I've fully felt this to its fullest extent as I am unemployed and do not have a nine to five job i think at this point in my unexperienced um young person thought and i don't know if people who are going through the same thing will actually appreciate my my take on this but you know take it as you as you will i feel like at this point i would ask myself what what matters and what what do i want to make out of this First of all, do I enjoy the job? Um, second of all, how how is the environment? Like, am I getting paid well? Why am I doing the job? Like, is it because I, I like programming? Is it because it pays the bills? If the answer is, I don't necessarily like it, but it pays the bills. Okay, cool. At least we have our answer. So that's the reason why we're programming. It pays the bills. Great. You know, now 
my, you know, my way of life or my, um, shoot, quality of living. My quality of living is being supported by my programming job, paying the bills. Great. What other needs need to be filled? Okay. So we have a roof, we have food. Great. But as a human, living through a human experience, I think another thing important is socializing. And unfortunately, um, I think we have very much, mm, we've kind of normalized being antisocial. And I think if you know anything about human evolution or just evolution in general, humans are not designed designed in a loose term, um, designed like uh, as creatures, as we are a part of the animal kingdom, we are not meant to be loners. And I could go on a tangent about survival in humans and evolution, how all that works, but part of our human evolution was being with community and so it makes sense that there would be biological cues that would tell you that something is not right if you are not in community with other people. Does that make sense? So I think that feeling of emptiness is a biological, again, loose, loose term, biological. (laughs) We don't know if it's genetics or anything like that. We just know that you know, it's clearly a cue coming from your body saying that you're missing something that is quite important to having a fulfilling life. And my suggestion for this person, take it or leave it. Again, you you know, I'm not um, experienced in this and nor am I certified to give advice, but if I were this person's friend, I would say that clearly something is missing, whether that be social life or maybe even just hobbies. I think those kind of go hand in hand because when you do have hobbies and you do seek out people who have similar interests and hobbies, you naturally build your community. And I would suggest that that person go and try to find community with hobbies that they enjoy. Because if programming is not necessarily something that they really love to do, then I would ask them to go maybe start on a hunt to see what it is they like to do. Maybe that's hiking and being outdoors. Maybe join a hiking club. Uh, Maybe that is sewing or knitting. Like You can go join classes that teach you that and then start doing it. I'm a volunteer-driven person. I like to feel like I'm giving back. And so uh, one of the things that I did during my time off after graduating from school when I was feeling really hopeless was trying to find community in volunteer work. And so volunteering at a food pantry was a way that really kept my spirits up. Of course, unexpectedly, um, I was able to you know, hang around the same people who volunteered at similar times as me and then was able to develop like a pretty loose bond. And it felt like that was what I needed at the time, even though I knew I was going to be out of the country. Um, I was like, you know, it's fine. Like just because there is a set deadline or set end to the relationship that I have with these people, like at least there's something there. And then If ever I go back home and want to pick up that volunteer work, I can do that. We humans are, we can't just be satisfied with just the bare minimum. And I think it's up to you to decide what you need to enhance your quality of living. Glancing at the comments, most of them actually agree with me. So yeah, just decide what is um, stimulating for you. Do you like going on adventures? Like what kind of, what's your personality? And maybe listening to podcasts is your thing because it's kind of my thing too. I like 
um, learning about things also. Maybe continue your learning in something, participate in a class. But yeah, I think being on autopilot is not a very healthy. I'm giving advice that I will probably need to take when I'm older and I do have a more stable job. Hopefully that I do. Reconnect with old friends. Maybe that's something that you need. And socializing is definitely a skill. It's a skill that you can work on. Because for me, I was a very timid person uh, growing up. But socializing was something that I really had to work at. And I'm still very incredibly awkward. I've at least kind of worked on my conversational skills and how I relate to other people because I think in order to try to connect with someone, it's not just making small talk. It's trying to connect with them on a different level. Try to talk to them about something that you can connect with. So instead of talking about sports, talk about them, their life, their upbringing. Like what what goals do they have? Uh, you can connect with them on like what are some shower thoughts that you have and like how can we you know discuss those or debate those instead of talking about sports and the weather have an intentional check-in <laughs> um talk with them about the meaning of life and whether they believe there is a god <laughs> anyways brain empty here i am once again if you have any comments or if you want me to stop doing reddit subreddits um i can definitely do that i just am procrastinating right now stay safe out there love you all yeah follow me on bedrat.thoughts on instagram uh, feel free to dm me or comment on this episode whatever you'd like to do and goodbye